0: guys welcome back to another episode of not just a hashtag i am your host nicole escobar today we are doing things a little bit different and i have a special guest here with us but before we get into that i want to say hello to kristen hey kristen how you doing hey nicole good good day glad to be here it's really excited about this one I'm so happy you're here. I feel like it every time we see each other, it feels like forever, but it's only a couple of weeks. <laughs> that true. means I love you that much, that I miss you that much. <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> true. Bye. Ditto.
1: Yes. All right. So just a reminder that um, our podcast is definitely for educational purposes. This is not considered official advice, um, does not take the place of advice um, from your doctor or your therapist. Since we don't know a lot of your stories personally, we want to make sure that you're getting personalized um, attention or care from a professional, if you need that. So
0: we just are hopefully here to to help and to um, encourage and inform. So, absolutely. And if you need any help like that, counseling or any other type of help, maybe through victim services or anything, again, visit us on our website at treesofhope.org forward slash counseling. Again, that's treesofhope.org forward slash counseling. Um, also I don't say this enough and I need to probably say it more, but I think it's just, I feel like it's just comes naturally with this podcast, but a lot of things that we talk about can be triggering and they can upset you or maybe re, um, bring up some thoughts or some memories of past and things that have happened to you. So should that be the case and you need to talk through some of these things please again, reach out to a counselor. Also in our disclaimer, our little bio, we have some help for you that you can text and somebody will reach out to you. It's a free service. So check out our bio for that exact text number. All right, so let's, do you know the number? Yeah. Yeah, so you
1: can always reach out to the crisis text line. They're available twenty four seven, and that's seven four one seven four one. And if you text home, there's a, they put out several different words that you can text that would actually connect you with them. So I I don't know that the word exactly matters, but just text home H O M E to them, and they will they will connect you with a crisis line counselor, so trained crisis counselor that will help you. So they're there twenty four seven right away if you were really to need help or support. You're never alone. So I'm really glad you mentioned that to Nicole.
0: All right. So thank you so much, Kristen. So let's get into this episode. As I said, we have a special guest and her name is Stevie Esler. Stevie and I know each other through social media and through a few mutual friends. Um, I'm going to let her share more about who she is and why she's here And Trust me, guys, you're in for a real treat. Not only is Stevie super relatable, really funny, and down to earth, but she is also someone I think will inspire you and your life. She is strong, courageous, bold, and brave, and I could not be more excited to introduce her to you. Hey, Stevie, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you guys today. Don't you hate? I don't know if you're like me, but I hate when people introduce me and they give me these like awesome things that they're like, she's so strong, bold. And then I'm like, hey, (laughs) how are you
2: guys? Like I've been It's funny because I it's I get that, but I will say now this 38 year old takes it. I'm like, that's right. I am. I'm bold. I'm strong. I'm courageous. Like I I think whenever you're younger, you have a hard time like taking that stuff. And the older you get, you're like, no, I am this. So right. it's you know, yeah. like, oh, you're geez, owning it. Yeah, I'm own I own it. That's right. right. I own I it. That. So I I take it.
0: <laughs> I love it. Okay, that's awesome. And we should all do that too. So Stevie, tell us what who are you? What where do you live? What do you do? What makes Stevie Essler Stevie Essler?
2: Totally. So my Instagram hashtag, my Instagram bio it says what Uh, So flow born and raised making generational furniture in Nashville, Tennessee. So that's where, that's my like bio on Instagram. So I'm originally from Fort Lauderdale where you guys are based out of my parents are still there. So born and raised like literally my whole life until I went to college, went to Florida state, lived in a lot of different States post-college came back to Florida. And then I moved to Nashville, Tennessee 10 and a half years ago. So this is now, this is now I mean, at the end of the day, this is home. Like I now call this home, which my mom does not like. She's like, no, home is Fort Lauderdale. I'm like, no, no, no. I have now lived here <laughs> 10 years. So that's, this is home. This is where I come home. Um, so yeah, so I'm here. I When I say gener- generational furniture, so I design and build custom furniture. I have a company called Built by Stevie. And that was started, it'll be six years in August, which is pretty wild. So six years ago, I started the company Um, I'm a carpenter, so H-E-R at the end. So just a female woodworker and I am full time. So this is like, I have staff that work for me. Um, I have a shop in my backyard. This past year I sold my, sold my house in town, moved outside of town, bought land, built my dream shop in the backyard. And there's a bunch of podcasts you can listen to do about all that stuff too. But, um, yeah, so I'm a woodworker I love what I do. Um, And yeah, at the end of the day, I love building furniture, but I also really, really love encouraging women and just like letting, helping women find out who they are and then just rolling with it and not trying to be someone that you're not. Because I've definitely learned over all these years I am who I am and it doesn't matter what I try to act like or do like, like I will always revert back to who I am at my core. So just finding who that is and then just living in that, living in that life.
0: Yeah. I mean, gosh, we should all do that. I feel like we would be so inspirational to others and just, if we could all just be ourselves, but I know a lot of people who are listening have been sexually abused and a lot of that, going through a trauma like that hinders sometimes who you want to be. So speak into that a little bit. I know when we talked earlier about some of the things that you've gone through, tell us a little bit of your story in the way of sexual abuse, what you have gone through, um, you know, when it happened, who it was, or you don't even have to get into the details, but, or like that, but give us a little bit background of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I always pre- like, I feel like I always have to like preface with, I have this like amazing family. Cause I do, I have such an amazing family. Like my mom and dad are rock stars. I have a great brother. who's my best friend. Um, so I feel like I, my life got divided at a young age. Like I had a safe life and then I had an unsafe life and that really defined my almost like two personalities growing up. So, um, I was sexually abused by my next door neighbor who is, is, was five years older than I, what I am. Um, and I originally had thought it had started around like 10 or 11. Um, I knew it had a hard stop at 13. But then whenever I actually started doing counseling 10 years ago, after just looking back at memories and situations and we kind of figured out it probably started at like eight or nine. So a younger, but then a heart, like I said, again, it was a hard stop at 13. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even if I'm eight, that guy is 13 years old. So whenever, whenever I'm 13, that guy's 18. So this was, that was, I do know that. Um, but yeah, just a next door neighbor. And um, it was a secret at the end of the day, it was a secret. And I kept a very, very large secret for a really, really long time. And my hard stop at 13 was I was actually at a uh, Christian sports camp and I heard a purity talk. And in the purity talk, I remember like walking around and there was like some stuff, but talking about physical attraction and just phys- like intimacy and touching. And, and I remember listening to that and thinking like, Oh, I, what I'm doing with this guy is like this, like I shouldn't be doing this. And at that point, like a 13 year old's mindset is like, oh, I'm kind of dating, like dating. Like that's what, it was just a weird, it's gosh, even looking back, I'm like, Man, it's just a weird, it's a weird mind that is going to set with you. And, but I came home from camp and I told him no more and it never happened again. And, um, I did a, and I did a fair amount of job, like a fair good job of like avoiding and, not riding my bike in front of his house. I mean, just things like that. Like I I avoided at all costs. Um, And then it was a secret until I was 16 years old. And when I was 16, I don't even remember the whole, how everything happened. But I told a friend um, and I think it was out of anger too. Like that's, I kind of remember that. It was like, it was out of anger. It was a fight. And I told a friend, she told her mom who actually worked at my school And as an, I mean, she's an adult finding something out sexually about a child, like you need to report this. So, um, she told my parents, um, and then I don't even know, maybe a week or two late. I can't, I don't remember the time, but it was like, then my, my mom confronted me about it. Um, but I was 16. So at the end of the day, essentially it had been, living I don't want to say a lie but just living in silence and with a yeah living in silence for let's just say eight years if it was eight to 16 it was eight years of that that I kept a secret so it was a secret it was a silent secret is what I kept
0: yeah I mean when you tell your story I'm like that is my story and everything that is about it is like feels exactly what I went through except for I kept it until I was like 30 years old. So Mm -hmm. it, you know, ate up a lot of my time. And, you know, I say this on past podcasts that it's like, you're taking, you're learning a new skill to take trauma Mm -hmm. and pain and to stuff it down and to act like it didn't happen. And you're learning to silence your voice and you're learning to you, or you learn to tell yourself if something bothers you, just move on, Mm -hmm. just move on and act like it didn't happen. So we learn these traits, how to do things like that. And they're not good. It's super toxic. And if you don't retrain your mind, you could take that into all types of relationships. And that's oh, I desperately want people to go through healing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it did. Like,
2: it, I mean, now looking back at it, like it, man, my, and real quick, my counseling journey too has been a very interesting one. So, whenever I was 16 and my parents talked to me about, you know, like found out, um, to no fault of my parents whatsoever. Like they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They talked to pastors and a couple other friends, parents who were counselors. And they found at the time we're going, so we're now going back, gosh, uh, we're going back 22 years. So 22 years ago. So this is, I mean, 1999. And there was at the time counseling was still not, it's not what it is today. It was just different. People, didn't go to counseling and if they did, they didn't talk about it. And it was just it was a whole different ballgame. Um, but I went to they found a Christian like child sex specialist, and it was a guy. Um and so I went one time. Um, I had memories of going a few times, but my mom was like, nope, it was one time. I was just, you know, I'd like I had divided that one hour section into three, like three different like memories, which is so interesting. But I had gotten, I got done with that first, that one and only session with this guy. And he said something super, super wise to my parents. And I am so thankful that my parents heeded his advice, but he said, she's just not ready. Like she is not ready. And she is pushing this so much that. We don't want to push her too far. And then it's just, it's gone. And, you know, it's like, she might lose herself. She might be a great, I mean, I might've turned a, I was a pretty good kid. Like I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I wasn't, I was a good, like I was a good kid. And I could have, I could have turned a door, you know, turned down a hallway that I shouldn't have been on. So thankfully I wasn't pushed into counseling. He's like, whenever she's ready, she'll go. So that was my experience at 16. But then also I'm like, oh my gosh, what a cluster. Because I, looking back my memories, like I'm a, I was a mess. Like there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of just, there was a lot of pent up anger that I'd had that a secret, a secret that had been silenced for so long is now out. And to me, it was the massive, massive pink polka dot elephant that was in the corner of the room in every single room that I was in. So if my family was there, or friends were, it doesn't matter, like that, elephant was in the room. And I did a really good job of like building walls up around this elephant, but still it was in the room and I knew it was there. And so I catered my life for the next, whoops, for the next 10 years around that. Um, and then whenever I was actually in grad school, I, long story short, I was, it just wasn't, it. the first couple of months were really hard for me. And out of that, my story became, my story became a thing again. And so I'm like telling people about my story. There was some like abuse, honestly, from like spiritual abuse that happened from the leadership there that even tanked me more and honestly set me back a little bit more. But part of me staying in that program was me also doing some counseling while I was there. And again, I'm being forced to go to counseling. So it's like for me to stay in this program, I've got to go to 10 sessions with this, like another Christian sex specialist, but it's a female this time. So I'm 24, 23 or 24 doing that. And I didn't go all 10 sessions. I went like three or four because I hated it. And it just was not what I wanted to be doing. So then fast forward to me moving to Nashville at 27, my best friend had just gotten married, had talked about pre-engagement and premarital counseling and just was talking about counseling in a different way, like just a she made it seem like it was just this great thing. And we were at dinner one night um, and it was in April of 2011 and I looked over, I mean we were at a birthday party. We're literally at a dinner birthday party. She's sitting next to me and I just tapped her shoulder and said, "Hey, I want to get your counselor's phone number." And she, you know, did like a double take like, "Excuse me?" Um, and I was like, I want to get your counselor's phone number. And she's like, okay, well, why? I was like, well, I think I'm ready to go to counseling. And she right there at dinner broke down in tears, which then I was not a crier. Like I was not really a crier at that point in my life. And I choked up. I was like, oh gosh, you're crying. I'm crying. What, why? why? I'm like, why are you crying? She's like, well, this is something that we've prayed for you. Like my friend group, they were praying that I would go to counseling one day. And that was, that was it. So her counselor couldn't see me at the time, but she was recommending another counselor. Um, I called her, I saw her the first week of June in 2011. And here I am 10 years later. And I still, I saw her on Tuesday. So um, lots of, lots of counseling. Like there has been lots of counseling um, and just like even a counseling plug for this. Like I, when I sat on her couch for the, we actually talked about this on Tuesday. Like the very first time I sat on her couch I was like, do you remember this? And she's like, yes. I mean, you've been with me for 10 years. So I'm mm-hmm. a long, I'm a long person. So, but I sat on her couch and I sat there and there wasn't arms folded or anything like that. There was no defense mechanism in me. It was the right person at the right time. And I shared as much as I possibly could in you know, an hour and I got done talking, you know, and I just said, I go, well, how long am I going to be here? I was like, is this like how, I mean, I just, I'm, that was my personality then. Like, I need to know an end date. I'm still a lot like that, but I've released a lot of that. But she's like, you know what, Stevie? She's like, it might be six weeks. She goes, it probably won't be six weeks. She goes, it's probably not even going to be six months. I was like, so like a long time. And she goes, you might be in counseling for the rest of your life. And I remember being like, oh, okay. I'm young. Like I'm 20. I've just turned 28. And, and she goes, well, do you have a problem with that? And I looked at her and I said, no, like, I don't, like, I just, I trust you. And she's like, well, no, she's like, one day there might be like, well, you just know, like you're done. And she's like, but honestly with, she's like, everything that I've just heard from you right now, she goes, you probably will want to be in counseling. You probably will want to be in counseling. She's like, there's going to be seasons where you're going to skip a year or two. And she's like, there might be seasons where you skip a handful of years. She goes, but then something big will happen and you'll be back in. And that has been what I have found. So, you know, like that first year I went every week. Um, I didn't ha- I didn't work on Fridays at work. So every Friday that summer I was in counseling. Um, and then after six months of counseling, she was like, Hey, uh, you have PTSD and I really suggest you do EMDR counseling. So we did EMDR counseling. Um, and I did that with actual psychologists who's actually Nashville had like at the time, one of the tops, like psychologists in the country that was specialized, like super, super specialized in EMDR. And so I did a handful of sessions with her in like in co also spot counseling still with my counselor. Um, they talked, you know, back and forth on things. And then, um, so yes, yeah, so that first year, like it was, it was weekly and there were some weeks where my story was really heavy and it was hard. And so we did twice a week counseling. Like she, I met her on Monday and then we ended up, we're on Friday as well. Um, And then, you know, it's like I take, I like tapered back. It was like every couple weeks and then every few weeks. And then, I mean, in years three to five of counseling, like I went maybe every other month, like it was really just like check-in. And then there would be seasons of like new job, job loss, a breakup that would just be super hard. And I would be back in counseling. Um, And like now I go once a month, like every four weeks I'm in and it's a good check-in and I... Phil, I'm the, I'm my best friends will tell you that I'm the healthiest they have, that they have known me. Like, it's like the more and more I do counseling, like the more and more I'm aware of my story and how has affected me and how to live my life with a massive, massive story that takes up a lot of my brain space, but now it doesn't like it's there. But I also, I like EMDR was the miracle drug for me, um, where I tell everyone for years, I had a, a screen that was right in front of my face, and I watched the same movie every damn day, excuse me. Every day, I watched this movie, and it was a handful, oops, puppy. it was a handful of memories that just played every single day they played. And can you guys hear her barking? Anyways, it's a handful of memories that played in my head every single day. And, but I had learned to go around them. I had learned to go over them, but they still were in my head every single day. And what we did with EMDR is, you know, I, we moved them from the center part of my brain to like the very back of my brain And I, I picked a black tarp. I wanted a black tarp that's thrown over my memories and that was it. Like I didn't, I didn't have to worry about, yeah, I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Like I could just, I lived, I lived life without having, without having those memories in my, in my frontal brain every single day. And yeah, EMDR is literally a miracle. It was literally a miracle for me. That's
0: awesome. Kristen, do you have any feedback on
1: that? Yeah, I. um, Just what a beautiful experience in regards to counseling too. Like exactly, um, you know what CV was saying. CV, I'm just you're so true about that first counselor when what he said in regards to you not being ready yet. I think that's so 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 important that people are um, that we honor where people are at. Mm -hmm. When you are not ready for therapy yet. Um, especially to deal with things that are really, really intense. You're not ready. We yeah. can't force people to be ready and be somewhere that they are not. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and when you were ready, look what happened. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, this is essentially,
2: it was 12 years later. Mm-hmm. And, but it was, the, I mean, it, and I've, have, I've have so many people I've talked to. They're like, I just can't find the right counselor. I'm like, well, then keep on finding one until you find one. Because like, I don't, and I think there is, I got really lucky, like, I mean, yes, I saw two that just were not a fit. But when I was 28 and I found my current counselor, it was just the right fit at the right time. And, but I also have friends who they've had to go a couple times before. They've had to go to a couple different people until they found someone that they felt comfortable with. Because that's the other thing is like, I think that, I think the counseling, like I said, counseling is so important, but I think you also do have to find the person that you feel comfortable with. Absolutely. Um, because you are sharing ah, uh, the most, like not even the, it's not even intimate. It is the most, it's the dirtiest crappiest scum, like the worst stuff that you can possibly think of you are sharing with someone and it's gotta be the right person. Um, you gotta feel, yeah, you have to feel safe. You have to feel safe and you have to feel comfortable with that person.
0: I was just, yeah. Gonna- also. Yeah. Totally agree. You, you're like literally, sh- you're like literally showing somebody a side of you because me, I'll break down, start crying over the dumbest stuff where I'm like, whoa, I can't, I don't want anyone to know I'm crying over this. Or yeah. I'll get so worked up and fired up over something so like almost ridiculous. And my counselor sees it and she's like, and you, you know, you don't want to show that to everyone. That's not mm-hmm. something you show on Facebook or Instagram, like, whoa, I'm freaking out here. Let's do a live video. Like, you're only showing somebody that you trust fully. And that has to be somebody that has proven that they are a good counselor and they're a good fit for you. And they show empathy and compassion. And like I, my counselor recommended to me when me and my husband went to go get, um, uh, couples counseling is try the counselor three times. If they don't, if the first time may just be a mistake, like a, an error in communication, the second time maybe just, you know, you may not be understanding each other. And then the third time, if things are still the same, dip out, do not mm-hmm. continue going to them because yeah. you don't need to, you don't, why it's not, it's only going to make you get, get, worse, to be honest. Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah. And I love that you kept at it despite those experiences. I think Nicole, that was such good advice to you from your therapist, you know um, we, each of us, there's a lot of therapists out there. And not everyone's going to love all of us, you know, speaking as a therapist, um, you know, but I do know, um, I know when I'm connecting well with a client, you know, and, um, but even more than more important than me knowing they need to know that just like me wanting help and hope and healing for them. I can want that all day long. But again, going back to the if you're not ready, you're not ready. We can't force that upon someone, you know, even if we see all these good um, possibilities for them. And I think when you have experienced sexual abuse, um, I think it's also, it is obviously can be so shameful and painful to go there as far as like what has happened that it's um, your tendency sometimes can be to be in a pattern of um, obviously avoidance of all of that pain and shame. And so I can't going to a counselor and not clicking or not you know, connecting correctly can really um, be your excuse to, to just continue to push this away to yep. not have to deal. So there is also that. So as much as I of, of course want to honor where people are out, I really want to encourage anyone that's listening that has maybe said, no, I tried it once. Now, not my thing. Didn't like it. Didn't feel right. Like don't give up exactly what you guys have already said. You know, yeah. Stevie, you've already said, like, don't give up, keep looking, find that right person that you do connect with because we will hide if we can, like when you've experienced abuse, you know, um, that tends to be a place that you can kind of exist in, which is the hiding the shame and so forth. And so you'll use sometimes it's not all the time, but sometimes you'll use whatever excuse to continue in the Mm -hmm. same place. Yeah. I was an avoider. Like, I was
2: such an avoider. If I did not want to be in the situation, if I did not want to be in the conversation, like I could, I would pivot really well. And Mm -hmm. very few. And also it's, it's also friendships. Like a lot of, like I would, and people never call, like I had friends that never called me out. Um, I will say my best friend now, she will call that out. I mean, she will straight up be and she's like, you're avoiding, you're not even talking about what I need, what I've asked you. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's like counselors have to say that you also need like people in your life that also will call you out on that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, it is it's, for me, it was just, but it was straight up avoidance. Um, and I'm really good at rerouting a conversation. And it has now, don't get me wrong, it's come in really handy in the business world. Right. And whenever I need to like get someone back, at, you know, get someone back on track with something, but also I know that that is my MO. Like that's, I am really good at, getting off and not wanting to go back.
1: So all our gifts can also be our weaknesses. Yes, yes, For for sure. For sure.
0: I feel like so many people can relate to that. I absolutely relate to that. Every, every experience that you've had so far, I'm like, yep, that's me. That's what I did. So I'm so grateful that you're sharing this and that, you know, you're sharing your story with our listeners, because I mean, we need to, I, I needed to know I wasn't alone and the way mm-hmm. that I dealt with my life and the way that I went through certain things that I wasn't the only one talking to people who haven't been sexually abused. They just don't get it. They mm-hmm. don't like we we're t- you're talking about a secret. They don't get that. They're like, I don't, what was like, I get it that it was a secret, but like, why didn't you tell anyone? And it's like, cause you don't get it. That's mm-hmm. why. Yeah. And so tell me you know, when speaking about family and friends, how did the sexual abuse affect those most intimate relationships in your life, like your family specifically? Um, Cause I know with me, it affected um, pretty much everything. It My parents avoided it uh, when they, I, I thought that they knew, then I found out they didn't know. And you said that your parents found out at 16, like obviously you guys had to go from there Did your parents continue to talk about it? Did they bring it up? Were they healthy about it or do they completely avoid it and act like that's just, again, the elephant in the room that we don't talk about with her?
2: Yeah. So uh, there's a lot, you know, it's like our memory is our memories are so interesting and we can black, you know, we can block things out that are traumatic and that we don't want to think about. And we literally don't even realize that they're happening after they've happened. And, um, so for me, my parents, okay. I did not think that we talked about it. So when I started like really intensive counseling at 28 and after I had been doing it for a couple months, I didn't even tell my parents, like, I just made the decision. I went and did I paid it for my, I paid for it myself. And, um, and it was after a few months, I was home visiting my family and I just asked my mom, I was like, why didn't we talk about this? And she's like, Stevie, we did. You just didn't want it. You you wouldn't talk about it. She's like, you would scream, you would yell and you would get up and you'd walk out. I don't remember that. Like I literally do not remember that. Um, I asked my brother like years later after, I mean, I'd been in counseling for quite a long time before I actually like shared, shared with my brother who I, who actually, he had no idea. And that was a, oh gosh, that was a whole other one. And, but I asked him, I'm like, do you, was I, he's like, me, you just yelled like you and mom and dad fought a lot. I don't even, I don't even remember it. Like, I know that I was a fighter. I don't remember it though. I just know it just from memories of them telling me that. So it was my elephant in the room because I looking back at, looking back at my past, I thought it was the elephant in the room, but that's because I wasn't talking about it. I was the one that was yelling. I was mad. So it was, the, it was already, it was talked about, it, you know, but they, but that was me like, and they, but they stopped, like not that they stopped per se, but they let me have my space and they let me go back, like essentially be a normal 16, 17, 18 year old until I went to college. And so that's, you know, so I know that it was like super traumatic and very crazy during Like right after they found out and after we did counsel after I did the counseling session and there all you know for a few months after that. And then I think I went to camp that summer and it was not that it just went away, but I came back and it wasn't talked about. Like it was on my and now it was on my terms. But I just I didn't remember that until I was twenty eight and they had to remind me of it. So, but it 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 man, I one day when I write a book it will be, I will have, to. I will for sure write about this, but I was not a good friend. Like I wasn't a good, I just, I wasn't, I hung out with guys. I really didn't hang out with that many girls in high school. Like I had friends that were girls, but I wasn't with them all the time. Like I hung out more with my guy friends than I did with my girlfriends and they were easy. The guys were easy. There wasn't drama. There was just guys. And we went and watched movies and we went fishing and hung out. So it was just, it was, it was chill. It was very chill. And that is what I needed. Honestly, that's what I needed. Um, But I, in a social situation in high school and in college, I liked to be the center of the tension. Um, But then it was like too much. Like I was very, I was too much, like very too much. Um. So very like I'd find codependent at the end of the day. Like it was find a friend, latch on to a friend. Find a friend, latch on to a friend, and essentially overwhelm them. I think there was a lot of like me overwhelming people because it was so. I just I needed something to attach to, and yeah. So very like healthy, but also so unhealthy relationships in high school and college, and even like post college. Like whenever I my now best friend like i met her in grad school and even that first year like i was floundering like i was really floundering and um and all of my friendships were honestly that way and i say that it's like i have bc before before counseling life and like my bc life i was floundering and i was trying to figure out who i was how se- i how sexual abuse like fit into my story and how it affected my story moving forward Um, and so, yeah, lots of floundering, lots of floundering and just figuring out who, who I was. And then when I started going to counseling, that's whenever I saw like friendships actually pivot. And I found who was really like, who were good friends in my life that would probably be in my life for the rest of my life. And who was also going to call me out on stuff. And, um, yeah, so it's like help, like a healthy, like healthy, like after like post counseling life has been a healthy life. And like I said, now, like I'm I'm healthier now than I was 10 years ago and I will I know I will continue being healthy. You know, that's not to say that I don't have mistakes and crap that seeps in and memories every now and then will hit me. And but at the same time, like I am not man, I'm not beat up and bruised anymore. And I think that's a huge thing. And I don't live my life that way anymore. And not that I was living my life that way on purpose, it just, it would happen. Like, I think, I bet if I go back, I bet 80% of the time I was great. Like I was living my best self, but then something would seep in, something would creep in and I would tank. Um, But that 20% would tank me even further. Like it would feel like it was a reverse. Like it was an 80% tank life and only 20% living your life in those moments, um, we're now looking back, I'm like, okay, there's a bad day and I or a bad hour and I'm done. And maybe it's a couple days that I'm like, I struggle with anxiety and depression. And that was something that I did not even know I did until counseling. Honestly, it was, and I, again, I just, I trust my counselor. She's been a huge, huge, um, voice in my life, especially for the la- maybe for the last 10 years. But it was right. Whenever I started doing EMDR, she said, she was like, Hey listen, you have PTSD, also you struggle with depression. And I remember thinking like no I don't. Like I know what people look like who struggle with depression and I'm not walking around with a cloud over my head all the time. Like I'm fun and exciting and I don't have depression and You know, it's like the Lord has things that he will put in your life and people who you will put in your life and words that are said at a certain time that just impact your life the right, the right moment. And she said, she was like, listen, I could not have said that to you six months ago, but now you will receive it. And, you know, and that's when she was like, you know what? I think you probably should talk to your general practitioner about getting on some meds. And so it took me then a handful of months to tell my general practitioner that like, Hey, can you prescribe me some meds? And I remember even sitting in that office with him and he was like, well, why? And I like kind of breezed around, but I didn't really, I mean, I was just like, Oh, I'm depressed. And you know, I, I did not talk about my sexual abuse at all. And he straight up said, he was like, well, I think if we just change your diet around a little bit, I think like you'll feel better and working out and and whatnot, and it was at that it was another like light bulb moment went off, and I was like, I'm not being honest with him. Like, mm-hmm. I have learned how to be honest with doctors. Like, I've I've learned how to be honest with my counselor. Like, this is I need to be honest. And I started crying in his office, and I said, Here's the deal: I was sexually abused as a kid, and I didn't realize how much it affected my life. Right now, it's, it's it has been affecting my life, and I was like, it's. It's brutal, and he right then. I mean, it was a it was a flip of a switch, fingers switch. Like he was like, "Okay, let's put you on something." Thank you for sharing with me. And so it's like, you know, it's like you can't go to the doctor and say, "Hey, I have this bruise," and they're like, "Well, how'd you get the bruise?" And you're like, "I don't know, it's just there." Well, sometimes that is the case, but it's like, well, actually, it's not just a bruise; it's a broken arm because I fell off my ladder, and I'm you know, like you have to give the backstory because they can't treat you without the backstory. And, you know, it's like, I had learned that in counseling, but now I'm learning that in my life. And, and what it made me realize too, was that I am a really good secret keeper and mm. I can keep secrets like the best of them, especially when it's about myself. And I don't have to tell anything that I don't want to. And, but at the same time, I'm not going to be treated the way that I need to be treated and get the help that I need to get help that I need help in if I'm not actually talking about what's going on. So that's never, that was like another like light bulb moment. Like, okay, okay. I actually need to be honest with all of my doctors from now on. Like I can't just go and say, no, I've never done this. I've never done that and expect to be given a perfect, like a a great physical if I cannot tell them what's actually going on. So that was a huge thing. So I went on antidepressants um, for, it was off and on for seven years. Like I was on for like three or four years and then I'm also stubborn as heck still. So I like pull myself off cause I was doing really good. So I just cold turkey it. And yeah, exactly. I saw those eyes, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no,
2: no. Yeah, My counselor was like, Oh my gosh, you did it again. Didn't you? I'm like, I did like, yeah. I would just call, I was on such a low dosage. And so I was like, I just cold, I would cold turkey it. And I'd be off for like five to 10 months and then something would happen. And it's like, okay, I got to go back on. And that was kind of my like MO for the last three years of being on that antidepressant. And then I will say something that I think is so important now is my counselor also was like, Hey, cause I was off again, but I was like, I think I need to be back on. And um, she was like, you know what? I want you to go see a genome specialist, like a genetic specialist that does genetic testing and then make sure that you're taking the right meds. And that was a whole other awakening moment. So I go and see a genetic, like a, gen- a genetic doctor, we do the genetic testing, you know, a couple of weeks later, she brings me back in. Also, I tell her everything. Like, I'm also like, I'm not holding back at this moment. Like she knows how many beers I drink. Like, I mean, she knows everything, like everything. So now that she knows all that info, she can put that info into the computer with my genetics. You know, it pulls up like, Hey, the meds that you were taking for the last seven years are ones that literally do not even work in your body. So I was taking like an SSRI, but I needed an SS... IR yeah. and and all right. Yes. Yeah. So so we switched up that. So and that was 2 years ago. You know like a little over 2 years ago that that and that was a huge thing. I'm like, "Wait, what? You can there's medicines that are specific for your genetics and so then it was like a whole other rabbit hole now that I'm down and I'm like, "Wait, this is now I'm like now I literally am screaming from the mountaintops to all of my friends and everyone listening to any podcast I've been on that I will talk about this cuz I'm like, "No, no, no. Great cool that you're taking meds, go find a geneticist and take a test and make sure you're taking the right meds. And now I'm like, I don't think anyone should take any meds without getting a genetic test because there's, we just, there's, uh, that's a whole other topic, but like, we need to make sure that we're taking what's right for us and not right for someone else. And then, because that was something now looking back, my, you know, my general practitioner was like, well, you'll take this for three or four months. We'll see how it's working. If it's not working, we'll put you on something else that's not how it's supposed to be y'all that's not how it's supposed to be like you're supposed to like find something that works for you and you can stay on it very rarely do you ever have to like switch over but I didn't know that until I talked to this doctor and yeah so now I'm on the right meds and it's great it's something that I don't know if I'm going to be on them for the rest of my life, but I'm also fine being on them for the rest of my life if this is need be. So this is something that I need for myself to, you know, like my anxiety was thinking 500 steps ahead and every person that would, all my friends would tell you, like it was probably exhausting because I would plan a trip for all of us, but I had like a packing list for each individual, individual person that was going on that trip. And I had a schedule down to like when we're eating pretty much when you're peeing. I mean, it's, I thought so far ahead and now I don't I like, like control. yes, yeah. it was such a control. No. And so now I think ahead, but I'm also like, I'm 10 steps ahead. I'm not 500. I'm 10 steps ahead because I right. think you need to be prepared, but I don't need to be over prepared. So it's just letting go of all of that, like letting go of so much of that control. Um, yeah. So meds
0: are very important. <laughs> Kristen, do you want to add anything here?
1: Yeah, sure. I was just going to say to um, thank you for sharing that part too, because it's true. They have done so many advancements where they can do that testing now to see what works best in your body. So, um, ha- but just like we were saying before, everyone who may be listening that may be on medication, talk to your doctor, please do not take yourself off of medication. No, do not. Don't. Yes. I'm no. a bad example. <laughs> Well, sometimes people have had some really, you can have some really serious reactions to stopping medication. So please mm-hmm. be careful. Talk to your doctor and ask about that testing. If that's yeah. never been brought up to you, ask about that because it absolutely exists and can, yes, can do what you were talking about CV, which is like eliminate that kind of like, let's test this out, test that out. Mm-hmm. So anyways, just, um, yeah, I'm, thank you. I know Nicole, you're going to add on this too, but just thank you so much for being willing to share you know, your story, CV2, And, um, we haven't talked too too much on the podcast about EMDR, but man, I'm right there with you. Um, you know, I, I, um, I'm an EMDR trained therapist and it is revolutionary, mm-hmm. um, what it does, um, especially for people who have experienced trauma. Um, it really, the opportunity for healing, um, Through, you know, with EMDR, you know, and I definitely believe that the Lord works in it, which is why, you know, I'm able to help people heal. And um, yeah, it's just revolutionary. It changes everything. It gets you very much unstuck and allows your brain and your body to recognize that whatever has happened is no longer happening anymore. It does not have to define you in the way in which it did for likely many years, Mm -hmm. you know, I am damaged, I am broken, I am worthless, all those things. Um, What happens with EMDR, it's amazing as you're processing with EMDR, you're actually able to finally, at the end of it, believe what is true about Mm -hmm. yourself, which is you are worthy. You are not damaged regardless of what has happened to you. Um, You know, you are worthwhile and deserving of of a good, healthy life. Yeah. Yep. it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. Yeah.
2: Counseling paired with EMDR paired with meds. Like it's a, it's a, tra- it's a train you want to be on. Like it's especially as a sexual abuse survivor mm-hmm. like this. It, yeah. It's something that it's important. It's really important. And, and I think that's something too. It's like, it doesn't matter where you are on your, where you are on like your journey with acknowledging that this has happened to you, or, I mean, it could be fresh, like it could be fresh and, but also it could be years later. I mean, Nicole, like you said, you're in your thirties. Like I have a, I have a friend, I shared my story a few years ago and it triggered something in her head. And it was something that she had not talked about in literally 40 years. And now she's in counseling. And so it's like, it doesn't matter where you are on your journey of this. Like, but once it's like, once you find out where you are, now it's like time to, to me. I'm like, okay, it's like, it's time. It's time to like figure out, do you want to get on this train or do you want to get off? And my advice clearly is get on the train, like get on the train. Cause it's going to help you out. Like it's going to take you, you know, you're going to get on that train. You're getting on that train is going to get you a lot faster from Fort Lauderdale to Nashville than by just walking and trying to figure it out. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's counseling is so, so important. And I, Funny because people are like, "Oh, you say that all all the time." Like, no, because it is like it's Mm -hmm. that important. And I'm one of those people too. I'm not going to talk about something unless it's actually like beneficial. And I'm going to talk from experience too. I'm not going to tell you to like go do something unless I've pretty much done it. So that's why I tell people, "No, I'm like, no counseling. This is a must. Like, this is it." And I don't even. It's not just for like sexual abuse victims. It is you or survivors. Whatever whatever verbiage you want to use. Like, it is for everyone. I'm like, if you want to be a healthy individual go find a counselor. Um, because I, yeah, I am, I'm a huge, huge proponent for counseling. Yeah. All, everyone, every single person needs to be in it at some point in time in their life.
0: (laughs) So that's great feedback. And I totally agree. Um, so Kristen, I actually wanted to ask you, um, I have a friend who is doing EMDR and it's, actually bringing up a lot of negative things in their life. And it's not doing what it did for me and what I know it has done for other people. And me and my other girlfriend were talking and saying like, we, we wish that her psychiatrist or mental health counselor would stop because it's, it's bringing her down a path where it's revealing so much that she's not ready for. Has that ever happened? And what, what does somebody like, What do you do if that happens?
1: Yeah, um, uh, EMDR can, when you're going through that process, it can absolutely bring up a lot of things. Um, uh, And what I mean by that is you're stirring the pot, basically. Mm. A lot of times the pot has just been sitting there, but now we are stirring it and things are coming up that you maybe haven't thought about in a long time. So I think something that is so important is um, anyone who is considering EMDR therapy or is in the process of it is just that communication with your therapist about how it's going, what's going on between sessions. And normally we're going to be checking in a lot on those things when we're going through that with someone to make sure they are doing okay. And we also want to make sure we, we, uh, we as therapists are also make sure the timing is right um, to go through EMDR with someone because um, not everyone's ready. They may be ready for therapy, but EMDR therapy is a more intensive type of therapy. And so not everyone is ready for that. Like I tell some people, if they are at their wits end, as far as stress level goes, um, and and everyone is different. So I I can't even say this is like a blanket statement, but, um, timing is important. If there, if someone is super, super stressed and they have no margin in their lives, EMDR, may not this may not be the best time for that they have to have a level of margin to be able to decompress from it because it's intense and everyone's experience of it is different i have people that have processed significant traumas in one session and i have other people who have processed significant traumas in like uh, spread out over 15 20 sessions Mm -hmm. so every person's experience is different so it's not cookie cutter at all um, but I just think that communication with your therapist is so important about how you're doing in between sessions, how it's affecting you, um, you know, how you're doing at the end of the session and saying, going back to what CV said, saying what you need, you know, I need this, like, as opposed to like just limiting what you're telling your therapist, like you have to say to um, make them happy about how the process is going, you are not there to do anything for your therapist, they're there to do, you know, to help you and your journey. So you have to communicate everything that's going on, because if you don't, they may not know and be able to help you best. So if you're having nightmares in between sessions, and if you're, you know, really, really, you know, stressed out and feel like you're on edge all the time going through any sort of therapy, your therapist needs to know that so they can help you. And you can say, I need more help. I need more coping tools or whatever it is. Um, that's what we're there for. But if someone doesn't tell me that mm-hmm. I try my best to ask as many questions as I can to really have a good read on where someone is at, but I need, you know, I also need a person to be at th- a client to be willing to say, this is really rough for me, or it doesn't feel like the right time. You know, that's very, very important feedback. So hopefully that helps. Um, yeah, Definitely.
0: no, huge. that's
1: good. I was yeah. gonna. If I can add something to that too, I you know something that my counselor
2: had told me whenever I was doing EMDR, like we did, we set up a couple of like boundaries, you know, so like rules too. So the f- I think it was like it ended up being I think five or six, like five or six EMDR sessions that I went to over about a month, and so what I did is actually did not drink for like I for those eight, it like ended up being like over eight weeks, I think of time overall. So for those eight weeks, like not that alcohol was a, um, a drug for me to numb, but just it it could, it could turn into that because we were diving so deep. And so my counselor was like, Hey, do you think for the next like eight weeks until we get, or until we get done with this, like, maybe you just don't drink at night. And I'm like, okay, done. So I didn't do that. I didn't drink. Like it wasn't, I wasn't numbing myself at night. Because so much, I mean, so much stuff does come up during counseling, and especially in EMDR, like you really have to do protect yourself on that. And then also, what I did is I also had safe people. So I had a couple friends who I also had to learn that I couldn't not tell them things because I didn't think they were ready to hear them. I needed to be able to share, and they needed to be the friends that said, "Hey, you know what." What you're sharing right now is just too much for me. And I needed to be able to hear that Mm -hmm. and like know that. And so, and I had that conversation with a couple of my friends, like, can I share with you? And they're like, yeah. And then I told them, I go, and you just have to tell me if I'm sharing too much. And they're like, okay. And I will say, I've, none of my friends have actually ever said I've shared too much. And I've shared some like counseling, like stuff that I'm like diving in with counseling, my best friend knows. Um, But I was able to get out of EMDR counseling and go like go, we did chill things. It was in the summer. And so it's like we went shopping or we go lay out by the pool. So it was something I would leave a very intense hour and then I would go and like decompress and not go back to work or not have to think that I had to get a bunch of crap done. I was able to actually step back, let it marinate, rest, and then go forward. Because I think sometimes we get so busy and we want st- to – especially whenever we're dealing with trauma, we want to like get, we want to get healed faster. We want to do everything faster. And then what happens is like you put, you cram it, you cram it all in and then it, you're going to combust later. So just giving your spirit, giving yourself space to rest, to heal and to decompress.
1: Yeah, for sure. Totally agree with you on all of that, that too. The timing of all that. Yeah, yeah. And just being patient with the healing process because, mm-hmm. you know, It is not, it's, it's not always rapid and that's okay.
0: So, um, yeah. Um, so I'm going to kind of ask you a few questions. What is the most important thing you learned from your abuse, either the act or after through healing?
2: I would say the healing process has been what I've taken away the most. And just, and I think also from that, who I am, like who I am in all of this. And I don't want to, I don't want to say that I lost myself, but I think I kind of did for a little bit. And I just didn't, I didn't know who, I just didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was because I functioned in, like I said earlier, like two separate worlds. I functioned in a safe world with my mom and dad and my brother inside my, excuse me, inside my house. Like I felt safe. And then outside my house, I didn't feel safe. And so I didn't really know. I honestly did not know who I was until 10 years ago. And I mean, I knew bits and pieces of myself, but I didn't know who I was. And I think that is from that has come from the healing of uh, finding out like, hey, you didn't need to showboat here. You didn't need to be the center of attention. Like you could be in the back. And what's funny is now I'm like, I'm actually a wallflower. Like I like, I like crowds, like get me on a stage and I can perform like I can be, I can perform, but I don't want to be in a massive crowd. I don't want to be in a massive party. Um, I will go to them. I'm also going to stand on the side with a couple friends and that's, I'm totally fine with that. But when I was younger, I would have never said that. And I would have never really done that. Like I would have, felt safe and comfortable over on the sideline. But I would have been like, nope, no, 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 you're, that's not you. You're, you're a center of attention person. And so I really did function in this like flip-flop life. So I would say now I just know who I am. I'm, I know who I am. Mm -hmm. My healing process has been huge
0: in that, in that way. I love that. That's great feedback. All right. Then the next one is what inspires you now to share your story?
2: I think the biggest thing is every single time I share my story, I open the door for someone else. And so, and what I mean by that is I will share something that I'm not ashamed of. I'm not, this does not, my sexual abuse does not define who Stevie Esler is. Yes. It has made an impact on my life and it has changed how I view certain things, but it is not, it's not me. Like I don't walk around with a sticker that says I'm a sexual abuse survivor. Like I'm a victim of sexual abuse. Like I don't wear that sticker. It is just, it's a part, you know, it's like, it's there. It's like, and whenever you have your your clothes, your clothes tag, and it has all the things that are made like that are you're made of, you know, it's like, there's a lot of things and a lot of fabrics. And so it's like, I am a multi-layered fabric. And yes, that's in my fabric, but it's not what is on me all the time. And so it's not, you know, it's not, my shirt does not, is not that all. It's not only that, like it's a hundred other things that make me up that make up for me. So, yeah. So I think that's just, that's, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing is like, whenever I share, I let other women and men know that it's okay to have this as a part of their story, a part of their past. It's okay. It's not horrible. It's not going to ruin you. And I think now it's like, I don't want to say it's like a high, but whenever I do share and I hear other women and men tell me like, wow, I didn't realize that I could like really talk about this. And this was always a, in a, in a, one of the biggest things is people are like, it's a secret that this was, this was a secret in my life. I didn't want to talk about this. I was ashamed and I don't want people to feel that way. And I don't feel that way. And so I want people to feel the freedom that I have. Um, I think that's my biggest thing is I just, I want people to experience and feel freedom and walk in that and not be held back by something that is hurtful and it hurts. Um, But it doesn't define, it just doesn't define you. And so I think the more I share, the more I feel like I am opening up this like floodgate for people to know that it's okay. It's, it's okay we're going to keep on pushing forward. We're going to be healthy. We're going to learn how to be healthy and we're going to move forward. Um, yeah. And I just, I feel like the Lord's giving me a very interesting pedestal in this world recently that I get to share about this um, from a, from a freedom stance and not from a stance of shame, like I said earlier. So I think, I think that's just the biggest thing is that I want people, I want, I want people to walk in freedom. I want people to walk in freedom and to feel that, um yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean that's exactly why I get to do what I do every day. That's why I left a cushy job to come to Trees of Hope is to be that advocate, to be that voice, to be that door for somebody that they know they're not alone and that their story matters and that it's not something that they need to walk in shame anymore about and they can be free cuz I'm free mm-hmm. so if I can be free you can be free too. Yep. Um Absolutely. the next one is if you could turn back time to talk to your eight to 10 year old self at the time you were sexually abused, what would you tell yourself? Ooh, I've actually
2: never been asked that before. I don't think, um, man, I would probably tell myself to go tell your parents, like, go talk to someone like this. Is, you got to go talk to someone. This is like too big of a secret for you to hold on to. Um, Yeah. And my parents talked like, you know, it's like my parents talked about sex. Like there wasn't a, this wasn't something that like, we didn't talk about. Like there, my parents were vocal on, on on this. And so, but it was, I, yeah, at the end of the day, I was groomed into silence and I was told by my abuser to, keep it quiet you know Shh, this is our secret this is our secret and so being so young that's what i heard was you keep this a secret and the more and more that things happened it was like it's more of a secret now so i think yeah if i could tell myself anything at 8 10 around there i would just say one you're okay and go talk to someone and i think that's something for like every single parent too That they just, it's, it's, you know, it's like, if I have kids one day, I will for sure be saying, tell me, just tell me, like, I'm not, not, nothing's going to happen whenever you tell me something like you, we have, you have to have that open conversation. So you just can't feel shame with that.
0: Right. And if you're under the age of 18 and you're listening to this, and maybe you're being sexually abused right now, please take this as the sign to speak up. Mm -hmm. I was driving down the street the other day. I was not high, but I saw a sign that said, this is your sign if you're driving high to not drive high. And I was thinking, "Ooh, how many people see that and go, nah, that wasn't for me. Like, no, that could be, this could be the time where we're giving you that, that thing, that thing that's calling you out. That's saying, please do this. Please speak up. This is that voice.
2: Yeah. This is the, this is it. Like literally go, go talk to someone, go talk to someone. And I will say too, like, great that you can talk to a friend, but I'm going to be honest, go talk to an adult. Like I was very, very lucky that my friend who was also 16 told her mom and her mom was able to like, talk to me, talk to my parents because I think I could have told another 16 year old and they wouldn't have said anything and they would have never told another adult. And this would like, my story would be different right now. Like, I don't know when I would have actually ever gone to counseling. Um, I mean, I know that I would have gone later. Hopefully I hope and pray that I would have gone later down the road, but my parents would not have found out at 16. Um, I would have never gone to counseling that first time. Um, and my parents would at that point, would not have learned, oh, hey, she's not ready for this right now. So there's a lot of like dominoes that needed to have happened in my life. But I got lucky. I got lucky that I told the right friend that told her parent that talked to me to talk to my parents. So, but yeah, if this, if you're under 18, find an adult that you trust and tell them, just tell them. Yeah. Yep.
0: All right. And the last question is, if you could do anything to help fight sexual abuse, what would you do and why? And not, and I don't mean to take away from human trafficking, Yeah. but I've found a lot of times people go, Oh, well, I'll go do like fight human trafficking. And it's like, there's a whole world of women who have been sexually abused, who are not being groomed necessarily, but you know, being sexually abused by a a friend, a trusted neighbor, like we did, uh, a family member. And like, what would you do to help those people? Man, I
2: think, again, it's open communication and just talking about it. I think the more, um, I think we are really lucky to live in a time period that we live in. There's like pros and cons to this. But We talk about so much more now. Things are just, they're not as hidden. You know, like I I read an article that was really interesting a couple months ago that we used to live in a 24 to 48 hour, 24 to 72 hour news cycle. So something would happen. And then the masses would not know for 48 to 72 hours because they took time to build a story where now you can get hit by a car, you know, get in a car accident at four o'clock in the afternoon. And by 4.30, you're already on the news because there's a there's traffic and they're talking about it. So now we're in a news cycle that happens so, so fast. And so now we have the ability to talk about stuff and for it to be out there and to be widely accessible. And so I think that now, looking back on that, I'm like, that's something huge. Like now we get to talk about this. And I think the more and more that we talk about this, we're shining light. And I say something, this is something that I say a lot is I say, um, you know, Satan does not have any part in my story of my sexual abuse anymore. It was darkness and Satan loves to live in the dark, but I, God does not live in the dark. God lives in the light and I refuse to live in the dark. I ref, I want to live in the light. And so the more I share my story, the more light I share on my story and I don't give Satan any room to stand in my story of sexual abuse, because there is not darkness there. Because I have chosen to not let that be a dark area in my life. Yes, it's a hurtful. It's hard. It sucks. There are times whenever I will weep about what happened to me, because a memory will flash back in. But I refuse to let that be darkness. And I will bring that into the light. And so I think now, moving forward, I think it's talking a lot about it. So it's like a podcast like y'all's um, I can talk about it from my Instagram, my platform, I can talk about it and I want to talk about it. And I want to keep this conversation open, that it's not a closed conversation. We don't just stop talking about it because my abuse is over. It's been over for 22 years. Like this is longer than that. I'm like, I don't even know, 20, I'm 30, 25 years. So for 25 years, it has, I have not been sexually abused. But it is a piece of my story. But the more I can talk about this, the more I can be open about this, the more light, again, light shines in. So that's where I want, like that's where I want to use my platform. I want to use my voice to talk about it. And if I've got to be on a podcast every single week talking about it, then that's great because I'm gonna, there's gonna, there's people that listen to y'all's podcast and other podcasts. Um, you know, like writing a book one day, like I will write about this in a book. And so random people will pick up my book and they will read a section of my book that's gonna talk about sexual abuse. And they might not have been abused, but they might have had a sister or a sibling or a cousin or a best friend. And so – and that's the other thing. It's like, you know, statistically, I think we're, we're at one out of three. I think it's – is it mm-hmm. one out of three, girls, out of three. Are, girls are sexually abused by the time they're 18? I mean, that's a staggering – that's a crazy – that is a crazy number. I mean, that is a crazy, crazy number when you think about that. And so – I just, I I want to give a light. I want to give a light and a voice to this topic because it really affects, it affects so many, so many more women and men. And I don't, I refuse to be hush about it. I refuse to say that this is something that we don't talk about, that it's like, you know, it's like back in the day, they said, you didn't talk about politics, sex and Church or something like that, and it's like, no, talk about all of this. Like, I don't think there should be any area that we do not talk about in our lives because that is where Satan festers. That's where he lives. Is in that darkness. And so, again, shining light into that, and yeah. So it's if it's me being on a platform and getting to talk about it and being open about it and talking, going to a women's conference and talking about like that's that's fine. Being in a small group, I mean, sitting out outside in my backyard, I've got an awesome ten foot circumference bonfire. I have had great conversations around that bonfire. And so it's just being open and talking about it um, and not being ashamed.
0: Yep. Amen to that. Everywhere I go, I've made it my life's purpose as an uncomfortable as it could feel in the beginning. But when I started a new Bible study at the Bible study, I stood up, I said what I did. I went into what I, you know, I have, I'm I run a nonprofit that deals with victims who've been sexually abused. I was a victim of sexual abuse. I I mean, Raph, my husband, he was like first shocked when I did it. And then I'm like, I'm, this is my story. It's I can't erase it. It's a part yeah. of who I am. And it's a part of my work too. So mm-hmm. it does kind of fit in a little bit better. But at the same time... Every time I talk about it, there is someone in the room who comes and talks to me after who says, thank you so much for sharing. I was sexually abused. I've I like, I, I've shared, I think, on here before that I started law school recently and I had to do a presentation basically of who I am and why I started law school. And I think I told you this, Stevie, that I did it based on the new sex ed curriculum that's mm-hmm. hitting the schools. And um, I led into that by stating that who I've been sexually abused. And it's offensive to somebody like me who's been sexually abused. And I sh- and we should not be exposing our kids, especially at kindergarten, mm-hmm. to fist pumping, anal sex, all these different genders. Like, this is insanity. That, this yeah. is sexual. This is a non-contact form of sexual abuse by yeah. having these conversations with these kids. So um, I, I said that in... And then I said that I had been sexually abused. Literally every single student that is in my class commented saying that they had been sexually abused as well. I was in shock. I was like, holy smokes, what the hell did I just start here? And, but you know what? Every person was like, thank you for saying that. Like, Mm -hmm. Thank you for opening with that. And I'm like, every... And I'm thinking, where you know we just we just entered into a whole new level of like vulnerability with each other, yeah. like we yep. didn't even know each other before this, and now we know each other, yeah, <laughs> absolutely
2: i the same the same thing every every single time I have shared, and we're going back to like I mean I shared about it before I went to counseling um. I'm glad there's no recordings of me out there just because I'm just in such a different place, like such a different healthy place. Oh, I know. Um, But looking back, even then me sharing every, every single time I shared there was someone that was in that group that I had shared with that was like, wait, this is my story too. And I've, a lot of them were like, I've never told anyone, or it's like, only my parents know. I mean, only a sibling knows it's Every single time. And I mean, now because I have a platform, whenever I do share, my numbers are insane. I mean, it's, it's the amount of DMs that I will get whenever I share something like this. It's, it's almost like, it's almost too much. Like, honestly, like you're like, like your class. I'm like, wait, what? Oh my gosh. Wow. But I will say, I will read every single one of those DMs, every single one of those emails. I will read because someone needs to read it and then I'm also but then my number one my number one response is are you in counseling And a lot of their times are like no and I'm like go to counseling you've got to find a counselor you've got to find someone you trust you've got to find a counselor. I'm like friends are great you've got to have a counselor you've got to have that outside source who as Kristen said, like you they're there for you you're not there for them you're they're there for right. you and yeah, so I, I think that is, that is something that's like, we've got to talk about it. We've got to talk about it. We've got to open it up. And I am so thankful. I'm so thankful okay. that I actually have a story that I am able to connect with more people than I would have ever connected with, honestly, at the end of the day. And, you know, I've, people are, you know, I've, I've, I've made this comment before and I'm like, I not that I'm like, "Oh Lord, thank you so much for ha- letting me be abused. That's not what I'm saying. I'm more saying like, no, this has happened. The Lord did have this in my life for a purpose. And if my purpose is to talk about it from the and scream about it from the mountaintops, then that's my this is why this is why this happened in my life. This is why it happened. I am a conqueror, and I am still healing but I also have seen the road of healing and I'm on the other side of it and I can now use my voice to talk to the masses. And I just, yeah, I, the Lord does not make mistakes and don't get me wrong because there have been, it's like a whole other podcast episode we could talk about. Like I have been mad, like mad at God, like mad, so mad at God. I'm like, no church, no opening my Bible. I don't want to talk about God. Like, I have been mad at him that he let this happen in my life. And I think that's fine. I think we are, we are allowed to be mad and angry because that is part of the healing process. But now I can look back on my life and be like, okay, you know what? Lord, yes, I am mad that this happened. I'm not mad at you, but I'm mad at it. Ha- I'm mad that we live in a sinful world. I'm mad that like sin is literally everywhere. Like we cannot escape it. And here's the thing too, like Here's the thing about sin and Satan. We already know he wants to live in the dark and he will pull believers down. I think God holds belief. Like I think that Satan will pull believers down harder than he will non-Christians because as Christians, we're living for the Lord we're seeking the Lord. And so we're the person that Satan wants to tear down. He wants to tear us down. He wants to pull us away from the Lord and non-christians that's a hard that's a hard pill to swallow like that satan he doesn't really care about you're already living for him and so you're living in that darkness and that darkness is his happy place and so he doesn't need to worry about bringing you further cuz you're already there and so by having the lord in our lives and serving the lord and having that lightness come we literally, the more light you have in the, you know, it's like a, a room, it's like a candle. Once you light that candle, that room's not dark anymore. It doesn't matter how pitch black that room has been. The second you light a candle, you can see everything. And, you know, and the the more you see and the more you adjust to that light, you start seeing everything in that room. Nothing is hidden from that candle. And I think that is where our lives are with the Lord. Like, again, Satan does not have a stronghold on my life in this area of my life. Like there, I just, I refuse to let him into that darkness. It's not his, it's not his. Cause I don't, I won't let darkness in there anymore. It's all light.
0: Preach that's girl. It. I love it. It's no, that's, that's <laughs> it right there. I remember hearing, you just reminded me of the sermon that I heard from Craig Gross, who run, used to run XXX church, um, XX church. And he said, don't be mad at the world for being dark. Be mad at Christians for not shining bright enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a word. Yep. And and I remember hearing that. It stuck with me. It convicted me. I left there feeling like because I have Jesus, Mm -hmm. I should be when a moment of crisis comes, that strong tower. Because I have Jesus, when people are hopeless around me, I should be the pillar of hope because i have jesus i should you know exude uh you know purpose and 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 life and give words of life to people and stop yeah. like focusing so much on why is the world so crappy right now mm-hmm. it's like well who cares yeah work in your community work in your vicinity try to make things around you better absolutely yeah it is i just
2: like i said i i it's literally something that i say all the time i'm like it is I just refuse, I refuse to let Satan sit and sit, have any room in my story. Like I refuse to have, let him have any room in my story. And I really do think that the more I share my story again, like I, it's just light. I'm bringing light into a story and yeah, say he has no room. I I just will not let him into that because he sat there for too long. So right.
0: You're taking back control and ground and I love it. And that's what, you know, I I hope that's what trees of hope can be for people who go through our healing study is we are restoring and taking back what was lost. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being here, Stevie. It was such a blessing. Um, Your story is incredible and I truly pray that it inspires people and pushes you To walk through healing. It doesn't matter if you go through a Trees of Hope study or you go through counseling. Get the healing that you deserve, not just need, but deserve. Absolutely. Um, Also, listeners, I just want to thank you so much for joining us each and every month. We could not do these podcasts without you. We do them for you. And uh, if you have been inspired by anything that we're saying here, or you like this podcast, would you please consider sharing it with one of your friends or letting someone on social media know about it? Also, maybe give us a five star. The more you rate and review us and give us you know, a positive review, the more we are visible and we can help more people. I logged on to Apple Podcasts this morning, and I saw a whole hashtag me too section and there's all these podcasts there and I didn't see ours. And it just was like, why? And the reason is, is because we need more reviews and likes. Those are podcasts that are getting lots of reviews. So please let us know how we're doing. Uh, we love you. And we will see you next time for episode 40. Bye. See ya. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.